Entertainment capital of the world. That's what you want to know. It's the TC Martin Show. Yeah, I had an idea. Diagnosis. I had an idea, and then uh... prognosis. Yeah, I take the serious. Osmosis. Why it's funny? It wasn't. It wasn't funny. I wasn't laughing about it. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not funny. Nothing's funny. Don't you ever talk about me? Yeah, I had an idea. That's the result you won't get. It's the doctor, TC Martin. I don't go out there and laugh. laugh. The doctor is now in. Glad to have you with us. So, yes, you know what day of the week it is. It's a terrible Tuesday where we get to vent our frustrations in the sporting world. And, of course, there's always something to vent about. Glad to have you with us today. Big game tonight. Vegas Golden Knights on the road. Do or die. What's going to happen tonight in Dallas? They'll face it off at 5.30 our time. Golden Knights and the Dallas Stars. The Golden Knights in a must-win situation. If not, this season is over. We'll dive into that today. We got NFL draft on the horizon. 40, let's see, exactly right now. I'm saying 50 hours, 56 minutes, and 13 seconds when the first pick should be made. On Thursday, here in Las Vegas, NFL Draft. We'll talk to Steve Berline. He will join us today. Sam the Man Gordon as well. We talk a little NBA playoffs. we got more games tonight coming your way in the association. A couple elimination games as well, too. See if the um, see what can happen if Miami can advance on and clinch on. Also, tonight, we've got Minnesota and Memphis and the Phoenix Suns and the New Orleans Pelicans. All right, glad to have you with us here on this Tuesday. A lot to talk about, a lot to cover today. Like I said, NBA, Major League Baseball, the NFL Draft, and a lot of ranting and raving to do today. And uh, let's get it on. It's Terrible Tuesday. That's terrible. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. That's a terrible idea. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. <laughs> it's Terrible Tuesday. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. Well, I'd like to pose the question here on this Terrible Tuesday. If we go back to the seasons that are have com- been completed or in the process of being completed during this winter slash spring season. Who is the most terrible or most disappointing team that we've seen? I've got three nominees. All right. One, the Los Angeles Lakers. That would be nominee number one. Let's examine the Lakers situation. They don't make the playoffs. They're favored to win the NBA championship along with another disappointing team. But the Lakers don't make the playoffs. They have 33 victories, 49 losses. They have a roster that is comprised of superstars up and down. Led by, of course, LeBron James. Trying to get another championship with the Lakers. Brings in Anthony Davis. Brings in Russell Westbrook. Brings in Carmelo Anthony. Brings in Dwight Howard. And what do you get with all these guys? Well, you pay a whole lot of money and you get nothing 
in the results column. That's what you get. You get a team that is considered not only the most disappointing this year, but maybe the most disappointing ever as far as an assemblance of talent on a National Basketball Association roster. But when you examine this during the course of the year and you're seeing how bad they're playing, you see how often these guys are injured, it's one of the most, it's the oldest rosters in all of the NBA. It's an aging roster and not a good roster. But like I said, not only they don't make the playoffs, they lose 33 games, they close their season on losing 12 of 15 games. Just downright pathetic and embarrassing. And the entire talk during the months of February and March were how bad the Lakers were, how embarrassing this is going to be. What are they going to do with with this uh, Lakers team? What are they going to do with the organization? Are they going to blow it up? Are they going to start from scratch? Is LeBron James truly done? Um, You've got an aging roster. Is Anthony Davis going to be moved somewhere else? All of that talk. Lakers being the most disappointing team maybe of all time. What a bust. That was until we rolled around until April and we started taking a good look at the Brooklyn Nets. Nominee number two. The Brooklyn Nets struggle all season just to barely get in the playoffs. And unlike the Lakers, they get in the playoffs. But once they get there, what happens? They get swept by the Boston Celtics. It all came to a crashing end last night as the Boston Celtics delivered the crushing blow to the Brooklyn Nets and their franchise and all their fans, and they get swept by the Boston Celtics. Four-nothing sweep. In a series where Boston was clearly not only the better team, they were the hungrier team. They had the team that had the best chemistry of the two. And you ask, how can this happen? Well, again, like the Lakers, you have a roster full of talent. But this roster is comprised differently of the Lakers roster. The rosters went, LeBron, handpick all of his old buddies, thought you could just, you know, like you're, you're uh, getting a pickup game going over at Venice Beach, and you could get guys like Dwight Howard and, 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 and Carmelo Anthony, guys that are really past their prime, got nothing left. But then you still got... You know, Anthony Davis, and you got a couple, you know, decent young guys. And let's bring in Russell Westbrook. Yeah, bring in Westbrook. That was a disaster, as we saw. But only to be compared to now with the Brooklyn Nets and what happened with them. A roster of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, LaMarcus Aldridge, Patty Mills, Joe Harris, Blake Griffin, Goran Dragic. Andre Drummond comes over in the trade. Oh, and by the way, you get Ben Simmons, and that's supposed to bolster your team. What happens? He never sees the floor. Yeah, a very lethal roster. Probably a better roster, more contemporary roster than what the Lakers uh, had. But this was just as disastrous, if not more. The centerpiece here, Kyrie Irving. Yes, it all started with Kyrie. And again, not to say I told you so, but we talked about it. Told you so. Kevin Durant. And I do feel a little sorry for Kevin Durant because he should have never left Golden State. And be careful what you wish for. And I've talked about this time and time again. That was a beautiful team to watch. Kevin Durant fit in like a glove with Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Klay Thompson and what Steve Kerr was trying to do there. But when Dray- when 
Kevin Durant decided to leave Golden State and try to make it on his own. Like other athletes we've seen in other sports, it just tends to blow up. And then the Brooklyn Nets trying to piece together a roster with a GM or a president or wherever they want to call him, Sean Marks. This ham and egg, Sean Marks from Cal. Are you kidding me? He was a ham and egg player. What makes anyone think he could be a a, a, a decent general manager, decent president? Are you kidding me? It blew up. Steve Nash, never coached a day in his life. Not an assistant anywhere. Steve Nash, head coach. Forget about it. But Kevin Durant's going to make it happen. Kyrie Irving's going to make it happen. James Harden's going to make it happen. Well, we all know what happened. Harden had enough. They jettisoned him out of there. Said, get get out of here. Kyrie Irving couldn't play because... He didn't want to get vaccinated. He wasn't allowed to play in home games until March. He didn't play in road games until January the 5th. Missed more than half the season. He had James Harden not wanting to play. He saw the writing on the wall. Too late, though. He's gone. Durant gets injured. Steve Nash, young, inexperienced coach. Yes, it was a disaster. They lost 17 of 20 games during one stretch of the season, and this was supposed to be the team that was the favorite to win it all in the NBA, and they can't win a playoff game. So, after being embarrassingly eliminated, the Nets now admit something went wrong. We probably handled the situation wrong. Maybe we shouldn't have assembled this roster. Maybe we didn't make any adjustments you know, during the course of the season, definitely no in-game adjustments from Steve Nash. No. So Kyrie Irving took to the microphone and talked about what went wrong and who's to blame. I think it was just really heavy emotionally this season. Um, we all felt it. Um, I, I felt like I was letting the team down uh, at, a, at a point where I wasn't able to play. Um, you know, we were trying to exercise every option for me to play, but I, I never wanted to just be about me. And I think it, it became a distraction at times. And, um, you know, as you see, we just had some drastic changes. You know, we, we lost a um, franchise player and uh, we got a franchise player back. But, uh, you know, we didn't get a chance to, to see him on the floor. And um, there was no pressure for him either to step on the floor with us either. You know what I mean? Like, ben, Ben's good. We have been. We have his back. He's going to be good for next year. But now we just we just turn the page and uh, look forward to what we're building as a franchise and, and really get tougher. I think it was just really heavy emotionally this season. <laughs> I really think it was just heavily emotionally this season. Well, Kyrie, yeah, it was emotionally. Why? Because of you. That's why. Because of you not wanting to get vaccinated. All right? Picking and choosing when you wanted to play. Picking and choosing when you wanted to show up to practice. Where was the commitment level? It just wasn't there. The roster was a mess. The chemistry was a mess. And Steve Nash was an S. Uh, was a mess. And Steve Nash saying this yesterday. I think it's a big reason why we were in that position. A lack of continuity. Kevin having to carry such a heavy burden to keep us in the playoff picture. All those things off the floor play a role in what happens on the floor as well. They're they're all tied in together. There's no question that it has an impact. Over the course of the season, there were just too many, too many things that held us back for moments in pockets. Man, that sounds like a lame excuse and a lame way to end your season. Why don't you both say this? 
A, Steve Nash, I was in over my head. I couldn't control any aspect of this team. I was dealt a bad hand with Kyrie Irving. And Kyrie Irving should say, yeah, it's on me. I got to be a better player. More importantly, I got to be a better teammate. That's what should have been said. So, yeah, definitely one of the most embarrassing finishes to a season for a team that was a favorite. I cannot ever recall a team that was picked to win an NBA title to be the NBA championship favorite for them to get swept in the first round to the Boston Celtic team, who, no disrespect to them because they're a solid team, but they just outplayed the Nets in every aspect of the game. They won more, and it was it was an embarrassing finish to a season for the Brooklyn Nets. So, yes, who's the most disappointing team? The Lakers? The Nets? Or our Golden Knights? Take your pick on this one. Now, the Knights are sitting in ninth place. They're on the outside looking in. They must win their final three games to get in the playoffs. Ugly losses throughout this season. They lost five of their last eight games. Remember that stretch we talked about yesterday? They lost five in a row in the middle of March on the road. Losses at Philadelphia, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Columbus, and Winnipeg. How many playoff teams are in that batch? One, the Pittsburgh Penguins. The rest of those teams, not even playoff teams. That was it. All losses. And you know how many points you get out of that road trip? Zero. Can't happen. In the middle of March, it can't happen in the stretch of your season. And the Knights went from basically being a a three seed to now being out of the playoff picture. Now they have to win tonight against the Dallas Stars. They win. They have to win again tomorrow night in Chicago in a back-to-back situation. They win that game. They have to win on Friday at St. Louis, which won't be easy. They can only hope that they, the Blues are just going to mail it in. Rest for the playoffs, right? And they need to get help also on top of that. They're going to need to get help from Nashville and, uh, and the Stars in losing as well, too. But it all starts tonight. Then you put the goalie controversy in there as well, too. You put in the Logan Thompson and the situation that has we've dealt with now for, for two years going on with Robin Leonard. Yesterday, as we said on the show, Robin Leonard has announced that he's going to have shoulder surgery. Even though the Golden Knights denied that 48, 48 hours prior to that. You put that all in the mix. Logan Thompson is going to finish the season right now, and it starts with him tonight. How was he in the last game? Not good. Gave up five goals, and they lose in embarrassing fashion to the San Jose Sharks. The finale at T-Mobile Arena for the regular season. They lose 5-4 to four in the shootout. They give up a goal with nine-tenths of a second in regulation. Yes, all of that has caused us to wonder what is going on with the Golden Knights. Not just tonight, not just the, uh, the rest of this season, but now you have to ask questions about the future as well, too. Will Peter DeBoer be back, their head coach? Will there be changes in the front office? You can bet there's going to be changes. There'll be player changes. There will be personnel changes probably in the front office and in the coaching staff as well, too, if the Golden Knights don't get this victory tonight. Then we're going to hear about some changes. So, yes, who is it? 
Hit me on Twitter. I really want to know. At TCMartin21, who's the most disappointing team of this winter season in the NBA and the NHL? Is it the Lakers? Is it the Nets? Or is it our very own Vegas Golden Knights? All very bad, but the Knights have a chance to right the ship with tonight's game. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Let's go to some Major League Baseball, huh? Man, we had a very entertaining weekend, didn't we? On Saturday, you got Miguel Cabrera getting his 3,000th hit. That's exciting, Miguel. And that's another thing. We may never, ever see 3,000 hits again because with everyone taking days off, hitters not be uh, with, with low batting averages, all that sort of thing. Yeah, Miggy, congratulations. But we had another thing going on Saturday as well, too. Very entertaining game going on in the Bronx on Saturday. The Cleveland Indians, the New York Yankees, Cleveland leading 4-3, to three, going to the bottom of the ninth. They are actually one strike away from winning the game when Isaiah Kiner-Falifa hits a shot to left field. Nearly caught by left fielder Stephen Kwan, goes crashing into the wall. The Yankees end up getting a double in the play. Meanwhile, Kwan is laying down on, on his back, rolls over. He's bleeding from his face. Yankees fans are tormenting this poor outfielder and cheering that he was hurt. Fans are yelling at Kwan. So much so that center fielder Miles Straw comes over, goes towards the fans, begins climbing the left center field fence, and yells at the fans in the bleachers there. So he's climbing the fence, yelling at him, saying, basically I'm paraphrasing what Miles Straw said, tell these guys to get a life. You're cheering for someone to, uh, they're hurt. Uh, What are you doing? You're classless. They're exchanging unpleasantries uh, back and forth to each other. So when play is finally restored, next hitter up is Glaber Torres. He comes to the plate. Now we'll let Yankees broadcaster John Sterling take it from there. Here's a 1-2 to Glaber. Winning run at second, two out in the ninth. Pitch. Swung on and lined to right center field. It is a base hit. Grounding third. Scoring kind of for Lepa. And the Yankees win the ball game with two in the bottom of the ninth. Ball game over. Yankees win. The Yankees win. Now somebody threw something on the field, and the Indians are all running out to right center. And the Yankees are too. I mean, that ruins what would be a great Yankee comeback. And the Yankees have run out there and telling the fans, stop throwing things. Throwing baseballs. I think that's disgraceful. That's disgraceful. That's not Yankee Stadium. Those aren't Yankee fans. Hooligans. <laughs> Hooligans. John Sterling, you should know that those are Yankee fans. Let's go back to back in the day. Uh, the Baltimore Orioles and the Yankees, the playoff games, right? All of that stuff. Yes, Yankees fans, they are hooligans. They're nut jobs. Chris Chambliss homer almost took out Chris Chambliss. They're running on the field. Yankees win. Yankees lose. It doesn't matter. I think the Yankees fans are worse when they actually win games. Are you kidding me? Yes, John Sterling. You're a legend. Oh, by the way, he said Indians. Now, I didn't get a chance to listen to that game that day, but I'm just wondering how many times John Sterling actually said Indians. Just in that clip alone, he said Indians. 
I'm not going to blame for that because they are the Indians. They should still be the Indians. Nothing wrong with that. It's hard to say Guardians. But yeah, John Sterling saying that's not Yankee fans. Yes, those are Yankee fans. Here's more from the Yankees television side. Now the Yankees are telling the fans do not do that. They were throwing things at the Indian outfielders. And you see Judge came out and said, settle down. We don't need that. They're throwing cans out there. Even Stanton saying, you can't do that. That's an awful look. Yeah, awful look. That's Michael Kay on the on the Yankees uh, TV side there. So John Sterling, Michael Kay, you got them both. Yeah, garbage being thrown onto the field after the Yankees won. Total classless, to- total clueless. They just won the game. I mean, go home, celebrate, go to your nearest bars, go to the Mickey D's across the street, pay $12 for the Big Mac combo. That's what you do. Go ahead and be happy. Be happy that you won a ball game. Instead, you're throwing cups of beer and garbage and baseballs. I mean, John Sterling said they're throwing baseballs. I don't know. Why would you throw a baseball? I mean, that's a baseball you probably got from batting practice earlier in the day, right? You're going to throw them at, 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 at uh, Guardian players? Are you kidding me? No. The garbage on the field, it's embarrassing. By the way, who just lost the game? The Guardians lost the game. So you're adding insult to injury? You're calling them out? Be gracious winners. We know the Yankee fans, well, a lot of them, are not gracious winners. Here's the thing, too. You're throwing garbage on your home field. Does that make any sense? Numchuck, would we see this at Wrigley Field? I got to believe we would not see Now, maybe over at Comiskey Park. We'd see that with the Southsiders. Yeah. It's not Comiskey Park anymore. Well, you know what it's I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. Great blah, blah, field. Blah, I get it. It's been through about five different renditions. But Comiskey Park is Comiskey Park. Comiskey it's Park. on the land there. Yep. That's all it is. Right? Yes. That, that nonsense, that mess on the south side of Chicago. Throw your garbage over there. But White Sox fans, maybe. But uh, Cubs fans. Not happening at Wrigley Field. Never. Not happening. I mean, come on. No, this was downright terrible. It was downright embarrassing on your home field. Oh, meanwhile, meanwhile, while the Yankees game was going on here, the New York Mets were playing a game against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Now, the Mets broadcaster, Gary Cohen, was getting ready to throw it to the studio to show fans watching television at home what happened at Yankee Stadium. So here's what Gary Cohen did during the Mets broadcast. Checking with the studio for a game break brought to you by your local Honda dealers. Here's Sal Licata. Sal? Why are we showing Yankee highlights? New York All right, Sal, here we're in the sixth inning. Yeah, you're in the sixth inning. You got your mouth full of food. You got an open mic. You got a hot mic, and you're going, why are we showing Yankee highlights? What's he stuffing? What's he stuffing? Uh, a, a diamond dog in there? I'm sure that was a dog. Yeah, it sounded dog. Who, know, who knows what it was? But come on. Here we go with the open mic. Why are we showing Yankee highlights? Well, probably because... There are fans that are watching this Mets game that might be Yankee fans, or maybe they're just in tune to this craziness that just happened at Yankee Stadium. But yeah, come on, Gary Cohen. You got to do better than that. Be better and watch what you say and know that your mic's open. Why are we showing Yankee highlights? Because you're in New York. That's why. Come on, man. (laughs) More baseball. Angel Hernandez. We know all about Angel Hernandez, don't we? Kyle Schwarber. 
ejected by the controversial, pathetic umpire Angel Hernandez. Now, if you happen to be watching a little Sunday night baseball, got a little rowdy there in Philadelphia, didn't it? Milwaukee Brewers playing the Philadelphia Phillies. Milwaukee's leading one to nothing in the bottom of the ninth inning. Kyle Schwarber is at the plate. Three-two pitch coming from Milwaukee closer Josh Hader. Here it comes. Cold strike three, and Schwarber is thrown out of the game, and he had zero issue with getting thrown out. Making it very clear, you've missed him inside, outside, up and down. Kyle Schwarber thrown out after being punched out by Angel Hernandez. And Joe may go too. You know, I don't care if you're a Brewer fan, a Philly fan, a baseball fan, period. If you're not, this right here is where it's been on a inconsistent, frustrating for the hitters. The score dictates it. When you have a nasty guy like Josh Hader on the mound, everything that Kyle Schwarber is showing right there, he's not air traffic control right there. I'm surprised it took this long for somebody to have that kind of an outburst. <laughs> there it is, the ESPN Sunday Night uh, telecast uh, there with uh, Carl Ravitch, Eduardo Perez, uh, David Cohn on the call there. Call- Kyle Schwarber ejected by Angel Hernandez. Yeah, it was a brutal call here. Angel Hernandez, known as the worst umpire in baseball. Now, I'm not just saying that because this happened, but anybody that follows Major League Baseball knows that is accurate. Angel Hernandez, worst, probably of all time. Now, we go back, and let's do a little critiquing of Angel Hernandez's performance during that Sunday night baseball game between the Phillies and the Brewers. He missed 19 calls in this game. Think about this. 19 calls behind the plate. The Major League Baseball rating for him by the umpires was 85%, which is horrendous. During a game, he rang up six batters on strikes outside of the strike zone. Think about that. Six punch-outs by Hernandez on called third strikes that were outside of the zone. The one on Gene Segura was measured six and a half inches outside. Think about this. Six and a half inches outside. How does that happen? This Ham and Ager has been doing this. Since 1991. anyone? This is 32 seasons that he has been in Major League Baseball. Have the ice gone batty? Have they gone? Yeah, probably so. Unbelievable. Here's some more history of Angel Hernandez, for those that don't know. All right? 60 years old. Umpiring since 91. Just six days ago, he was doing a game between Boston and Toronto. Now... Hernandez is at first base during this game. All right? You have Yossi Kikuchi is pitching for Toronto. He licks his fingers. I believe the count was like 2-1. and one. Hernandez stopped play. J.D. Martinez was at the plate and said, J.D., you're going to first base. Kikuchi licked his fingers, said, that's it. That's a base on ball. Base on ball, you can't do it. Everyone's irate here. J- and J.D. Martinez was awarded first base. 
Angel Hernandez coming into play here because Kikuchi licked his fingers. Everybody licks their fingers, and then they're supposed to wipe it off at their, you know, or on your pant leg or on their hat, whatever. You, I guess Angel didn't see that. Who knows what? More Angel Hernandez in a game last year, Cleveland against Kansas City. Salvador Perez hits a ball to left field. Okay, looks like uh, it's it's going to be extra bases. Oh, and it is. It bounces. The ball hits the warning track there at Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. Angel Hernandez, umpiring out there at second base, rolls out there and says, batter's out. Yes. Andrew Benatende for for Cleveland gets caught in a rundown because he was on base, not knowing what the call was. He gets doubled up. Hernandez rules double play. The umpires all get together after Hernandez blew this call because you could clearly see that the ball hit the warning track. They rule that the ball was not caught. They award Ben Attendee third base. This was unprecedented. They, they reversed the call like this. But then again, so is Angel Hernandez. He's unprecedented. Unprecedented bad. All right? Hernandez told the umpires when they all got together during their meeting on the field, the angel, what, where were you seeing? He says, well, this is what he said. I couldn't really see it, if it was a catch or not, so I guessed. <laughs> he told his umpire chief, the crew chief, and the rest of his umpires that he guessed. He said that the scoreboard was in the way of his view. <laughs> True story. Angel Hernandez. Oh, you want more? I'll give you more Angel Hernandez. All right, Hernandez sued Major League Baseball back in 2017 because he said that Major League Baseball was prejudiced because of his ethnicity, okay? That he was not getting meaningful playoff game assignments because of his race. No, Angel Hernandez, you weren't getting those assignments because you're terrible. Plain and simple. That's what it was. A judge dismissed his lawsuit. He hasn't gotten a league championship series or a World Series assignment since 2016. He filed this lawsuit back after that because he went six years without getting an LCS or a World Series. And he said, no, it's because of the color of my skin. No, it's because you're terrible. Since 2010, he received only one LCS assignment. And that was when I mentioned in 2016. Hasn't seen anything of meaningful postseason playoff games since. Which begs the question, why is this Ham and Ager still allowed to be an umpire? Why? Why do we see bad NBA officials still allowed to be referees? Why do we see it? Everybody else is held accountable. Managers, players, front office executives. All right? They get fired. They get dismissed. They get fined. Whatever. This is just horrendous. Major League Baseball, the good old boy system with their umpires, get rid of this clown. He's terrible. He may be entertaining, but this guy costs teams games. At that point in time, yeah, that's why he doesn't get any postseason play. But don't minimize the regular season. Get him out of the regular season as well. Angel Hernandez, horrendous. All right, let me leave you with this. A popular Zamboni driver. Yes, for the Detroit Red Wings, has been fired. 
Oh, this is sad. Why, you ask? Maybe for not getting the ice properly prepared? Maybe driving under the influence? Maybe not showing up for work? No, is the answer. None of those. None of the above. That is not the reason why Al Sabatka got fired. Al Sabatka was dismissed for urinating in a drain in the back of the Little Caesars Arena, home of the Red Wings. That's right, because he urinated in a drain. Al Sabatka, 68 years old, he's been with the Red Wings for 51 years. He wasn't too happy about being dismissed, so he filed a discrimination lawsuit this week against the Olympia Entertainment, who uh, runs uh, the Little Caesars Arena there. Uh, his lawyer said that he was has a health condition that causes him to frequently urinate. Oh, poor, poor Al. Poor Al. He couldn't get to a restroom, so he urinated in the drain that carries the ice runoff from the Zamboni machine at the Little Caesars Arena. Someone saw him and apparently reported it, and he lost his job. His attorney said he thought no one was in the building. He was given no warning, no second chance. After 51 years, he was dismissed. Now, it's in a drain. Maybe there's something to it. He couldn't, you know, but at some point in time, don't you just say, hey, it's not like you're pissing in somebody's popcorn. It's not like you're urinating somebody's drink. It's in a drain. The runoff where the ice is going. Maybe he's got a condition, but even if he doesn't, 51 years within an organization, give the guy the benefit of the doubt. Now, for some of you, like me, with a little twisted mentality, and have the flair for comedy. Does this story sound a little bit familiar that maybe we've seen it before? I respect that. (laughs) Hmm. What happened? Nothing. I said it was a little problem. Yeah? What was it? Well, I was in the locker room showering, and I I had to go, so... There we go. Anyway, I think the guy in the shower opposite saw me. He gave me a dirty look. You went in the shower. Yeah, so what? I'm not the only one. Do you go in the shower? No, never. Do you? I take baths. I supposed to do? Get out of the shower, put on my bathrobe, go all the way down to the other end, come all the way back. Did you ever hear of holding it in? Oh, no, no, that's very bad for the kidneys. How do you know? Medical journals. Do the medical journals mention anything about standing in a pool of someone else's urine? Why couldn't you just wait? I was there, I saw a drain. Since when is a drain a toilet? It's all pipes. What's the difference? Different pipes go to different you're gonna mix them up. I'll call a plumber right now. All right, can we just drop all the pee pipe stuff here? Okay. He pulled a George Costanza. Al Sabatka pulled a Costanza. Oh, if it's not eating eclairs out of a garbage pail and other things, a Costanza comes once again. Shrinkage. Oh, don't forget the shrinkage is exactly right. So obviously, Elaine was in the Red Wings management. Uh, Ears or something here. Pipes go to different pipes. I feel sorry for our good friend Al Sabatka. Oh. <laughs>
Terrible Tuesday takes. Hit me on Twitter at TCMartin21. Your thoughts. Oh, yeah. And I got another one for you next hour. So hang tight with that from a little local angle as well, too. Steve Berline, the quarterback of the TC Martin Show, next. Hey, this is Steve Heitner, and lucky you, you're listening to the TC Martin Show. Uh, that's gold, baby. Gold. All right, don't forget we'll be at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas on Thursday and Friday for the draft. That's right. The strip was going to be crazy. They'll be doing it all there at the Bellagio. We'll be right next door at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Usually our Friday home and our special event home and no bigger special event coming to Las Vegas than the NFL draft. And uh, not only is the NFL invading, you've got coaches, you've got players. You've got agents. You've got everybody coming. You've got the quarterback of the T.C. Martin Show that will be here as well, too. The one and only, the pride of Notre Dame, Steve Berline. What's going on, my man? Yeah, baby. I like that. That was good. <laughs> I don't know where the fight song was, though. But uh, then again, you know. That's you, okay. You know, That's okay. I, I got a feeling that the you band. Made up for it. Yeah, I got a feeling that the band is uh, stuck in the locker room. I got forgive us, Steve, for being a little bit late with you coming on here because we were talking about uh, people urinating in uh, in, in drains uh, in the back of arenas. So uh, sorry about that. Huh. Oh well. Um, yeah. That that. I'm sorry I missed that. I, I know. I'm sorry I missed that. Now, did, did you ever happen to see, because I, I gave a perfect correlation, do you remember seeing the episode? I know you were a Seinfeld fan back in the day. Do you remember when, when George actually urinated in the shower at the health club? Do you remember that episode at all? Were you a Seinfeld guy? I, you know, I was a Seinfeld guy, but I'm terrible remembering, like, quotes and all that. I'm just not good at it. You know, you got to know your strengths and weaknesses. But I do remember the episode, yes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, I equated that, too, I, I because – oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I just going to say I remember I remember the episode and, and uh, you know, I'm obviously classic Costanza. So, um, you know, it's per- perfect – Perfect summation of probably what you were talking about. It was. Now, here's what I was talking about. And give me a quick take on this because this is a terrible Tuesday. The Detroit Red Wings all right, fired their Zamboni driver. This guy has been with him for 51 years. He couldn't make it to the restroom, so he decided he just had to go there in the drain in the back of the arena where the, uh, you know, the, the ice and they have the, the, the water runnage, the spill-off goes. So he had to go. The guy, the poor guy, got uh, got fired for this, Steve. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> hey, well, you know, you're risking potential damage to the zamboni right. if, uh, if you if you if the dude just you know decides this. Well, what, you know, wet his drawers on the, on the zamboni. What do you want him to do? He had to make a choice. Right. Right, so he couldn't make it. He's got a condition. His uh, his lawyer argued, but it was just the drain. And I figured if Costanza can do it, I mean, why couldn't uh, the Zamboni driver do yeah. it? Yeah, right? I, I, I mean, yeah, that that, that to me is uh, a lawsuit waiting to happen, man. Yeah. I mean, to get fired for uh, you know urinating so you can do your job. I don't know. There, good point. Uh, there you go. Yeah. See, so, yeah, I mean. I just want you. I just want you well, to understand why we were a little bit late getting to you today because we we had these these big stories that we had to cover. Yeah, well that that's huge. 
That is massive. Uh, well, not not. I don't know whether it's massive. <laughs> let me let me just back out of that one. <laughs> there it is. Tighten up that backstroke. There it is. Yeah, there we go. I, I'm not going to try to explain that one. That's good, man. All right, uh, you're coming to Vegas. Are you using the excuse that you, it's the NFL draft? You're just using that as an excuse so you can play probably what 36 holes of golf, right? Uh, well, I'm going to try. Um, I'm coming out for the uh, the NFLPA. Uh, they've got a, a, a group called the Trust that really um, looks out for the best interests of football players uh, after their careers are over and uh, provide a lot of great support and benefits to the former players. And they're hosting a golf tournament tomorrow. Um, is it? Is it? I think it's. Does Desert Pines sound right? Yeah, yeah, that's that, that, that's that, that's where you're golfing, huh? That's very nice. It, it, yeah, that's a golf course. I think that's the name of it. Yeah, Desert yeah. Pines. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll be out there tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon, and then uh, you know, probably going to try to get out and play for, on Thursday, but that's not a hundred percent certain yet. So, uh, but we'll be in Vegas, having a good old time, and looking forward to getting caught up in some of the draft festivities. All right. Uh, good stuff, man. Uh, Steve Berline gets to play a, a different course, add, his, add it to his Las Vegas uh, golf course list there. So very nice, man. Yeah, I know you like playing new courses. Yeah. There you go. I, I, well, if they're good, I like them. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, if, if it's a dog track, I'd, I, you know, I'd rather not. Yeah, we don't have, uh, we have but, too many dog tracks out here. You know, not too many. Yeah. Pretty I'm, 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 I'm a believer. There you I'm go. I'm a believer in Vegas golf. All right, my friend. Uh, and, if, and that's the thing, too, about the trust. I mean, they throw good parties. They throw good events, man. We've seen it with the, the Major League Baseball guys uh, and, and their trust. Uh, the NFL uh, PA guys, they do the same thing. So you know that better than anybody. So, yeah, you're, you're coming for a good time. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I uh, just kind of fell into my lap. I, I got the invite uh, last week, and it all kind of happened pretty quick. And um, really – really a good time to be out there obviously and some fun festivities around it so uh i'm looking forward to it all right man you let me know if you got uh, some room for uh some bucket of chicken and some cocktails as well too well you know <laughs> i was just about to say my priority list is very very short uh and it's golf it's uh chicken, and, chicken. and uh and yeah the chicken and uh you know, hopefully coming back with more money than when I got there. There you go, my man. There's my man, Steve Berline. There it is. Yeah. You got to yeah. love it. You got to love it. it. Very simple. All right, Very man. Uh, the draft here. Um, I'm curious with you. We're not really talking about a whole bunch of top-tier quarterbacks in this draft. We're not talking about, you know, the one, two, or three picks with a, a quarterback there. And I think for a lot of people here, Steve, it's losing a little bit of luster because the Raiders don't have a pick in the first or the second round. Vegas is hosting the draft, which is kind of great. I think it's going to lose a little bit of luster uh, with the Raiders not, you know, having a pick. And the host city always, that's part of the intrigue as well, too. Wouldn't you agree? The the host city, when they're on the clock and everything, that's not going to happen, you know, till later on Friday. Well, but you know, I mean, Vegas is such a unique city. You know that better than anybody. And you, you, you can count on the fact there's going to be a ton of uh, NFL fans from all over the country that have had this date circled and this event circled for, you know, as soon as it was announced. So 
it may not be the home crowd buzz, but uh, Vegas, as we all know, is is uh, the universal uh, uh, energizer. It's going to energize whoever's there. They're going to have a great crowd, I'm sure, and there'll be a lot of buzz going. And uh, probably, you know, it may even make it more interesting because uh, we'll see which which organizations come out and support the most. You get a good chance to get a good feel for that that kind of a dynamic. Right, I agree. I agree. It will be fantastic, like every event here in Las Vegas. So back to the quarterbacks here. I don't know how closely you've got a chance to to look at the draft here, but uh, give give me your thoughts. I mean, are we? Could we maybe not even see a quarterback go in the first round? You know, I don't think that'll happen. Uh, you know, with the way that they, they structured the rookie salary cap several years back, um, I think teams are not nearly as gun-shy on taking a reach for a quarterback if they, if they really need one. Um, so I, I think there's been a, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, reach kind of picks the last, you know, seven or eight years where you look at a guy and you're like, I, you know, I don't know if that really was a legitimate first-round pick right there, but teams are willing to do it because they're not having to invest those huge first, you know, first contracts at this point. They've, they've really controlled that well, and it's made teams uh, take a shot on a quarterback, I think, much more frequently now. But uh, you're right, though, that there's no quarterback in this class that I look at and say uh, that guy really – to me, is a sure thing, and um, you know, even even a, a guy that's really worthy of a first round pick. So um, I, there's a couple of them that I like, maybe three. Uh, I'm not as high on a few people that that uh, have been rated uh, highly. Like I'll give you a great example. I, um, I think Matt Corral from Mississippi, oh, Ole Miss, right, uh, has had a great college career, <clears throat> but I don't look at him as being a a sure thing NFL quarterback. I, I I look at him and say, to me, he reminds me more of uh, a, a Johnny Manziel or a, uh, maybe even a, a Baker Mayfield. Um, those are both guys that, if you, if you remember talking to me over the last few years, I didn't think either one of those guys were worthy of of being a high first round pick. Yeah. Um, I thought I thought both May, Baker Mayfield and Johnny Manziel had a shot to be good NFL quarterbacks. I still believe that Baker Mayfield can resurrect his career and become a, a good, solid, productive NFL quarterback, but uh, I thought it was a mistake when, when uh, uh, Cleveland took him number one. Uh, Matt Corral, to me, is that same type of guy. And I, I don't know how durable he's going to be, and we know he's a, he's a runner, and he's an aggressive runner. Uh, I just don't think his body's going to hold up that well, and I don't look at him as a, a pocket passer. Uh, a guy that can really sit back in the pocket, go through his reads and a progression, and uh, and be really comfortable in an NFL style offense. So, uh, the two that really jump out at me is guys that I think have a a really good shot at being good quarterbacks are um, Pickett and um, uh, Carson Strong out of Nevada. I really like I like uh, his tools and his skill set. Um, and, and Pickett, I think, is a guy that's got the highest upside uh, from Pitt. Um, you know, but, but again, the consistency and the, you know, the accuracy, um, you see some, a little bit of the similarities between he and maybe some Joe Burrow like abilities, but not nearly as polished as Burrow was at this point. 
And then I think the other guy that, that really uh, could be a, a wild card is, is Malik Willis. Um, I, you know, I like, I like his skill set, uh, but, you know, he's also a guy that, that uh, you don't look at him on film and say, you know, he, he was a real consistent high-level performer that can do all the things that an NFL quarterback needs to do. He hasn't shown that he can do that on a regular basis. So that's my, that, those are my views on the top four. I don't know if you want to talk about any one of them in any more depth. Yeah, and here's the thing. I mean, you look at all these guys. I'll throw a couple others out there. You mentioned Kenny Pickett, and he seemed to be the you know, the toast of the town you know, earlier on, and then maybe he slipped a little bit here. Malik Willis kind of came out of nowhere really until, I guess, maybe the combine where people are, are talking about him from Liberty. You mentioned Matt Corral, Ole Miss. Uh, I like Sam Howell out of North Carolina. You mentioned Carson Strong. Got a chance to watch him quite a bit as well, as you said, at Nevada. But I just don't see any of these guys, Steve. I don't see any of these guys. You know, when it came time to, like, leading their team to big victories or deep, none of these quarterbacks did that. And that's what's kind of strange because we usually, you know, like you mentioned a Joe Burrow, a Baker Mayfield, or, or whoever it is. Normally, I mean, we're talking about quarterbacks that led some big-time programs to bowl victories or into the college football playoff. None of these guys even came close to sniffing any of that. And I'm just wondering, how big of a concern is that that you're asking somebody to potentially, you know, be, you know, a, a franchise quarterback for for one, you know, some of these teams, but they really weren't that in college. No, I, I think you're 100 percent right, and that that's one of the measurables that I look at. You know, you t- people talk a lot about measurables for quarterbacks. It usually, has to do with the physical side of it. You know, big, strong. You know, arm strength. Um, accuracy, you know, toughness, all that kind of stuff. This, to me, uh, stepping up and making plays at at the big moments in big games, I, I put a lot of credibility into that. And uh, you know, that, that's the one thing when we talk about Matt Corral. I did the uh, Alabama Old Miss game uh, on radio for Compass Media, and I was excited to go there and see him up close and personal. Uh, number one, he looked very small in the field to me. Um, and number two, he did not make a play that whole game. And, and I, sure, Alabama is a great football team. Alabama was, you know, arguably the, the them and Georgia were the two best teams all year. But in a big game, if you're a big-time quarterback and worthy of a first-round draft choice, and by the way, you do have some pretty good skill position players on your team as well, uh, you should make some plays to at least keep your team competitive uh, in big situations. And I did not see him do that at all during that Alabama game. I was hugely disappointed and came out of there saying, well, you know, how can they talk about him being a top five, top ten pick or even a first rounder if he didn't even make one throw that I remember in that whole game? Right. So uh, I felt that way about him. That's kind of where my – um, my my views on Matt Corral came from, but you're right though with Pickett and also with Carson Strong and and, and Sam Howell I put in that category as well. You know, there was a lot of hype around him going to North Carolina. He's not a real big, strong, you know, prototypical quarterback look. Uh, he's a good athlete. Uh, he's got a decent arm. Uh, I do think he's a little bit of a baller. Uh, gamer who can step up, but but there's really nothing that you look at over the course of his career that you sit there and say, 
yeah, I really see what I want to see out of my franchise quarterback. You know, you say, hey, he's got a chance, um, you know, is he worth, uh, you know, uh, maybe a high middle round pick, you know, second or third round? Maybe. Uh, but I don't think he's a first rounder at all. And I think really the only two that, uh, that I really think, uh, are from a long term perspective, first round draft choices, I think would be Pickett and, and Carson Strong. And you could put Matt Corral out there just because everybody's talking about him. But I, I don't believe that he really warrants a first round draft choice. There it is. That's, uh, from the quarterback, Steve Berline. <laughs> there it is. He is the king. He is the quarterback of the T.C. Martin show. We love it. All right, brother. Hey, man. Hopefully we'll get a chance to see you while you're here uh, and enjoy. And uh, we will re- reconvene here and uh, talk some more hey, football was, with you. Was that Nunchucks on the, on the trumpet? It was him. Was yeah. that him playing the trumpet yeah. there? Yeah, I can't, believe he, I can't believe he held it that long. I mean, you know, he's on his, like, uh, fourth pack of cigarettes today, so I can't believe he... <laughs> yeah, he, he got a chance to blow it. There we go. We'll let the real band take over as we send you out, my friend. So, yeah. all right, there brother. There we go. I, I like it. All right, yeah, I, I, I ride off with a smile on my face. There you go. Thank you. All right. Hopefully, the bucket of chicken. There you go. Take care, brother. Hopefully, we'll see you. Right. Take care. There is Steve Berline coming to town for the draft. Be playing some golf, uh, eating, having a good time. Always love it when Steve gets to come to town here. All right. We come back. Sam Gordon will join us. We talk NBA playoffs and more on this terrible Tuesday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. It is showtime, baby. Here we go. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. going on he's feeling it and you can see he's rising to the occasion it's the tc martin show it's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor tc martin this is your captain baby hey come with me the doctor is now in hour number two glad to have you with us so yes nfl draft coming your way this weekend Thursday, Friday, Saturday, everybody descending on Las Vegas, huh? At least if you're a football fan. We'll be at the Cosmopolitan on Thursday and Friday. Make sure you come on by, and uh, we'll be breaking it all down for you Thursday, Friday. We continue with all of our draft coverage. We want to thank Steve Berline for joining us last hour. Tomorrow on the show, breaking it all down for you, our good friend Trevor Maddich from ESPN. He'll be talking a little NFL draft and former Minnesota Vikings head coach, Mike Tice on the program tomorrow. Looking forward to that. And uh, don't forget, uh, big draft party coming your way all over town. But our good friend Chuck Esposito doing his thing over at Red Rock on Thursday. And uh, Mike Tice will be there. Corey Chavis, former Vikings as well, too. Yes. So uh, our draft coverage continues here on the show. If you miss any part of the show, you know where to go. Go to the T.C. Martin Show website, tcmartinshow.com. NBA playoffs we talk about this hour as well, plus another terrible Tuesday take or two this hour, barring enough time. But right now, we join our good friend from the Las Vegas Review-Journal and Minneapolis native, the one and only Sam the Man Gordon. What's up, buddy? Hey, 
How you doing, Doc? Good to talk to you again. We're good, man. I thought you'd appreciate me uh, having Mike Tice on tomorrow. I thought you'd like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, 2004, uh, Mike Tice uh, and the Minnesota Vikings go into Lambeau Field and beat the Green Bay Packers, uh, the, the infamous Randy Moss mooning game. Hey, uh, hey, 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 stop. I was there. I was there. <laughs> I was right there, my friend. <laughs> Go, ahead. Go ahead. You got some great Mike Tice memories as well, then, TC. <laughs> uh, I, if you were there, uh, hey, playoff, road playoff win in Lambeau Field. Uh, unfortunately, uh, they lose the following week to, I think it was Philadelphia or maybe Atlanta, and yeah. then uh, he got fired the next year. Yeah. It was a wrap after that. But what a, what a run it was uh, for Mr. Tice. Definitely remember his teams very well growing up. Yeah, I'll tell you what I remember most about that, Sam. Now, I don't know, were you were you on the beat? Were you, you weren't covering the Vikings at that point in time, right? You weren't, uh, you were probably an infant still in those times, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in seventh grade when that yeah. game happened. <laughs> right, exactly. Seventh grade. So let me tell you, you can appreciate this story, and you probably know the uh, the the two guys that I'm talking about. Okay, so I'm in the press box, and the Vikings like scored the first touchdown. I believe it was that game, or maybe it was the regular season game of that season. And no, no, because this was a playoff game. I think it was. So anyway, um, as you know, the etiquette in the press box, Sam, better than anybody. There's no cheering whatsoever. So these two ham and eggers from the Minneapolis Star Tribune, when Minnesota scored first, they're high-fiving each other. They're going, yeah, there we go. Going to be a good day today. Going to be a good day. It's the Vikings day today. And we're all looking at each other. Are you kidding me? And these guys were, were especially the one, had been the beat reporter for the Vikes for a long, long time. And you probably, if you said the name, I, I'd remember. But I was a little shocked at the Vikings' behavior. But it just goes to show you the rivalry between these two teams and their fan bases and even the media personnel. Hey, TC, as you know, it runs deep, right? Yeah. It, it's very, very personal. Uh, for whatever reason, it just is, even though it's been relatively one-sided, at least throughout the course yeah. of my lifetime. We, we, we in Minnesota have certainly put out the inferior, uh, the inferior product every year. Uh, but nonetheless, it's very, very personal. It's, it's probably one of the most spirited rivalries um, in all of Minnesota sports, period. Um, maybe that and the Wisconsin football rivalry, too. Yep. So it's it's a big deal. Those games are a big, big, big deal. And uh, and if you grow up there, you know about it for sure. You know, when I was there covering the Packers, the, when the Lions would come to town, it'd be like, uh, you know, th- there was nothing there. When the Bears came to town, it was kind of this friendly rivalry. I mean, there would be... You know, some fights, uh, but but very not. You know, there's a lot of respect there with the Bears. It was just, sure. but when the Vikings came, Sam, it was just nasty. I mean, it was, it, nasty. It, it was more nasty. And you think Packers Bears? You know, people think of that. But when you look at Packers Vikings, no, there was just a little bit more. Uh, you know, and maybe because the Vikings did have better teams, I'd say. You know, during that course of pretty much, you know, the '90s and the early 2000s, and even later sure. on, more so than the Bears. But yeah, it was a big difference, and we'd always categorize, you know, the rivalry between the division teams there. Uh, but yeah, Packers Vikings was was downright nasty, man. More more fights in the stands in that game uh, than any other divisional opponent there in the old black and blue division uh no question about it i had a good a good friend from high school i still keep in touch with was a, a long time diehard green bay packers fan uh and she would um 
she would go, you know, she goes to any any game she can go to, and that obviously meant a lot of the ones in Minnesota. And she's she's told me all kinds of stories about how she was harassed and all that, and just kind of the the vitriol. It is person like like you said, nasty um, is the right way to describe it. TC, like you, you get a rivalry game like that in the NFL, like there is a nasty it feel to it. It can get real personal. It can get real ugly. I think you know that's not. You know, I mean, it's, it's part of the NFL. That's the reality of it. But it's not, you know, it's not something you like to see by any means. Sam Gordon uh, joins us, the fine columnist from the Las Vegas Review Journal. And Sam, of course, covers a plethora of events and stories, of course, here in Las Vegas. And Sam, uh, I did enjoy your column this morning when, you know, you were talking about the North Dakota State wide receiver, uh, Christian Watson. And a uh, good take on that, you know, talking about these uh, players that, uh, you know, or probably going to get drafted, you know, coming from the, the smaller schools. And I know that's always a dream for every player when they choose a college. Uh, but some guys can't go to the Big Ten or the Pac-12 or the SEC schools, and they're hoping to make a name for themselves at a smaller level. And, uh, you know, we've seen it. You know, out of North Dakota State, they've kind of been uh, a powerhouse, you know, with, with Carson Wentz and, and, and other, other guys that have come from there as well, too. But, uh, yeah, just a... Uh, Give us some quick thoughts on, on, on this story and, and what your M.O. was about writing about uh, the wide receiver Christian Watson. Well, well, T.C., first and foremost, on North Dakota State, right? That's a program I'm extremely familiar with. Um, North Dakota State recruited the Twin Cities very, very well when I was in high school and in college, and they still do. Uh, they, they still do. They have a strong recruiting base there. And a lot of guys that I thought the Gophers should have pursued, uh, that a lot of us you know, thought the Gophers should have pursued, that overlooked, ended up going to North Dakota State. And my sophomore year, 2011, North, North Dakota State came into TCF Bank Stadium and blew the doors off Minnesota. Uh, picked six in the fourth quarter, you know, that iced the game. Um, so this is, a, you, know, you, you know, I know that's a program that's kind of a national, they're, they're no nationally on that level now, but, but regionally for a long time, um, it's one of the top programs in college football. It's a program that can easily make the transition uh, to FBS, provided it met all the requirements, uh, and compete at that level and win seven or eight games in a, in, at the FBS level. Uh, you, you, there are, I, I guess, the point in, in, in the, the column, TC, is there's, yeah, you can go to Alabama, you can go to Florida, you can go to Georgia, you can go to USC, but there are so many different pathways to the NFL, and, and his story is emblematic of that of so many others. You know, being an, an unranked recruit in Tampa, having a growth spurt, um, going up to a, a FCS powerhouse where you're going to play, you're going to play a lot, and you're going to develop, and you're going to compete at a high level, right? He he knows how to win. He knows what winning football has looked like. He he had to sacrifice some of his own statistics and some of his own individual glory to be a part of a winning program up there at North Dakota State, and. Those are all kinds of things. I think, you know, as you know, talent evaluators, uh, general managers, scouts, like that, that kind of stuff matters. Because in football, especially, that's the ultimate, that's football's the ultimate team sport. You need all 11 on the same page at the same time. You need sacrifice. You need communication. You need all these things. And when you have a talent like that who's going to be in a, a run heavy offense uh, where he's clearly a first round kind of talent in the, in the NFL and have no qualms about that and enjoy that and embrace that. That's huge. I think that's one of many the reasons. Many of the one of the many reasons um, he may be a first round pick on Thursday. And there's guys like him, you know, all across the country. So he he's certainly one. Uh, Trey Lance, of course, North Dakota State last year goes in the top three. Carson Wentz. So it's going to be three top uh, first round picks. TC out of North Dakota State in the last six years. And there's a handful of second round picks. North Dakota State players all around the NFL. But but it's you know the talent pool is is wide. It's it's far reaching. It's wide. It's it's FCS level. It's Division two. It's Division three. Like you see, see you see some of those stories sometimes, and 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 that's that's the cool part about the NFL draft to me is that yes, 
We're going to hear all about the guys from LSU and the, and the juggernaut programs, but there are just, you know, there are quite a bit of these stories as well, and, and there's a lot of ways to get to the highest level. Yeah, absolutely. We love the small school uh, stories and the small school kids. You know, real quick, Sam, back to North Dakota State. This is a powerhouse and has been for quite some time. And we've seen other schools who kind of dominate the lower level. I mean, going back in the day, Division Two, and now, like I said, you know, you've got the uh, the FCS, and they make that jump to D1. How come North Dakota State hasn't made that jump? And has there been talk uh, about this this program and this school going D1? Because they could do yeah, it in I mean, basketball, I- too. Because, as we know, they got a very good basketball program as well. So if you're strong in football and basketball, that's got to open up the conversation, right? Yeah, I would think so. I don't know if it's a matter of not having the requisite facilities. Um, I know their facilities aren't elite by any means, but they, that may have changed. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure, but I would. I know that privately, um, there's been at least some chatter. Right, like there's been some chatter in the Midwest about, hey, can, can North Dakota State uh, make the jump for for you know go up to the FBS level for football? I definitely think when you take a look at how good they've been. I mean, nine of the last eleven national championships often. They, they run the table, you know, several NFL players now, guys that, again, first-round picks, top five picks, top three picks, quarterbacks, you know, they, they, they do the whole thing. I mean, they would, they would, again, go into the Twin Cities, take all the best players that Minnesota didn't want to recruit, bring them over to North Dakota State, win national championships with them. So they, they, there's a, a tried-and-true blueprint for this. They know how to do it at the highest level. The coaching is elite. There's a, a tremendous culture there, and there's a community um, that really loves football in Fargo. That's just the that's just the fact of the matter. So, yeah, you, I think at some point it would have to be explored. I don't know how close things are. You know, it's not. I'm not. It's not a situation I'm super plugged into. But I know that when I was living there, it was a thing that was kind of understood. That hey, North Dakota State is good enough to play um, in the FBS. I think the following year they you know or they 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 beat Iowa State, then they beat Kansas one year. You know, not necessarily crazy wins at that time those weren't great programs but those are big 12 schools that that north dakota state was handling with you know with big 12 players and and whatnot so it's a, it's a tremendous tremendous program um it's 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 a testament to to what they've built there and it's it's cool to you know be, be being from the you know from the midwest to have uh, another midwestern power emerge like that at that level and to be able to produce guys you know send players to the nfl is awesome all right, uh, Sam Gordon joins us, the Las Vegas Review Journal. Sam, where are you going to be hunkered down uh, with your your draft coverage? At? Are you going to be rolling around the Bellagio? You're going to be incognito. You're going to be at the Raiders facility. What, what, what's the plan for Sam Gordon? Yeah, I think a little bit of everything, DC. You know, I, I'm, I'm just it's such a cool event, and you could already kind of feel just being out and about the momentum that's building here, some of the excitement, some of the promotional things. There's just an energy here, right? So I will be spending a little time. Um, on the strip, getting a feel for everything, and, and then you know, hopefully checking in um, with the Raiders as well. I think it's a fascinating draft for a number of reasons. It's like you still don't know who's who's at the top, like who's going to go number one. Uh, the quarterbacks, what's who's the first quarterback off the board? It's not as deep of a quarterback class. Does somebody make a move? Does Baker Mayfield get traded? Debo Samuel. A lot of interesting angles, and then of course us being here, just the sheer entertainment aspect. Of the city definitely. Um, showing out and representing and doing its part to represent itself on on the highest of levels on the biggest and brightest of stages. So, uh, yeah, I'll be I'll be out and about a little bit. You know, maybe the Bellagio, maybe the Cosmo, uh, maybe MGM, maybe the Blink. I'm not sure, but but I'll be I'll be out and about checking checking that out. And definitely, we're going to be a part of that experience for uh, sure. We're going to need you to come on by Thursday or Friday, man, to to come on by for for a segment or so. So so put that in your calendar uh, as well, since you'll be uh, hovering the strip. How's that? I got you. I got you. Let's do that. There you go, man. All right. Uh, 
let's talk about this draft real quick. And, you know, Jacksonville on the clock, followed by Detroit, then the Houston Texans. I mean, it's funny, Sam, isn't it, that we're not talking about a quarterback or even a running back or maybe even a high-profile wide receiver really going in, in the top few picks. And uh, does that make it lose its luster a little bit when we're talking about you know defensive linemen or, or, or linebackers or offensive tackles? I think, yeah, I mean, I think certainly to a point for sure. And I think especially when you juxtapose it to the, the draft last year, right, the last draft that we had where there was so many quarterbacks and that, that was the, the talking point. You know, for months and months leading up to the draft, there was a debate about, you know, the quarterbacks after Trevor Lawrence. So, yeah, when you when you compare it to last year's for sure, but I think for that very reason, like, you know, this is like a kind of like a true, like, football head, you know, real draft junkies kind of draft because there's there are a lot of good players at, at impact positions, right? Edge rushers, uh, you know, Thibodeau, uh, Hutchinson, you got Trevon Walker, who's probably going to go number one. You have some interesting offensive line prospects. You have interesting safety prospects. It's just, it's just not – it doesn't have, you know, like you said, T.C., the luster or the shine because you don't have that necessarily franchise quarterback. But, you know, even beyond that, right, even though these quarterbacks aren't, aren't you know, necessarily household names now or anything like that and, you know, they don't figure to be good quarterbacks, like, who really knows, right? Like, like I, I, that's, I think, another part of why the draft is compelling. I think there's always guys that, you, you know, you're pretty sure are going to be slam dunks, but – then you have guys that emerge and guys that overperform and guys that defy expectations. And maybe this quarterback might, you know, they don't say he's supposed to be good, but then he's really good. Like, you know, you never know. Um, it's such a crapshoot. And, and there's such, because of that, there's so much optimism around everything, right? Like this is one of the events every year where there's genuine excitement from all 32 fan bases. Like everybody's happy because there's hope. The draft represents hope. So no, there might not necessarily be, you know, your hope in the sense of a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance or a, a Trevor Lawrence or anything like that. But for teams that, that think they have a franchise quarterback and are a couple pieces away or that want to add value and want to add depth and, and want to, you know, they want to maybe take some risk and go for big swings, like this they're, they're, this is a draft that, that has a lot of talent. So um, it's inter- it's not traditional per se, but it still is interesting, uh, even if it's not as, you know, flashy and glamorous. One of the fan bases whose uh, enthusiasm may be tempered a little bit is here with the Raiders not For having sure. a first-round pick, not having a second-round pick. And it seems strange that you, you, the host city doesn't have a first-round pick or even a second-round pick. They're going to be pretty much silent you know, through you know, the, the end of the day on Friday. Uh, let's talk about the Raiders, though. Once you get to that third round, what are the needs that you think that the the Raiders will go after? Especially now we've got a new regime. We got Dave, Dave Ziegler calling the shots there. Uh, you know the GM, and then of course Josh McDaniel, the new head coach here. Uh, the Patriots' uh, way of thinking has always been, you know, pretty crystal clear. They've really hit on the majority of their drafts. Uh, what do you what do you think the Raiders do here when it comes uh, late Friday? Yeah, I um. I think you still want to address the offensive line, PC. I think if you can if you can get a potential starter or at least somebody to compete for a starting job and and provide some depth uh, in the third round, that that's where that's where I would go. Uh, that's where I think still at this point the biggest needs are. I think the Raiders have done a lot a lot of positive things for their franchise this offseason, right? We can be very frank about that. You had the best, arguably the best receiver in football, Devontae Adams, still in his prime. You added Chandler Jones. You add you know you re you retool your depth. At defensive tackle, you had a starting corner, Rocky Yassin from the Indianapolis Colts, right? They, a lot of uh, solid moves and a couple superstars, right? So from, from that standpoint, 
you shored up a lot of what you needed to shore up, and you, and you took some big swings, but that offensive line still has not been addressed in a substantial major way. And it, although it improved towards the end of the season, definitely some improvement. There was definitely enough juice on that offensive line to, to do what they had to do to, to, to qualify for the postseason. Um, it, it was inconsistent throughout the course of the year, and when it was consistent, it was consistently not good. That's what it was when it was consistent. So uh, a, a possible starter – um, and then maybe some depth even in the later rounds. If not offensive tackle, I think corner would be an interesting uh, way to go too because Rocky Yassin and Trayvon Mullen, um, both you know young players that are, are due for contract uh, extensions next year, and if one of them really pops, then maybe the Raiders are priced out of one of those players and are going to have to let one of those players walk and go elsewhere. So if you can develop a possible starter, you saw how well they did with Nate Hobbs in the fifth round, especially getting a starter last year, hey, Maybe there's somebody right now that's depth but can be a future starter, somebody to compete for a starting job or, 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 or supplement what you're doing on special teams, but they can also play in the secondary. Those would be the two spots to me. But I think if you had to identify one priority, it's still the offensive line based on what we saw last season. You got it. All right, uh, Sam Gordon joins us. Sam, let's uh, talk a little NBA playoffs. we got more action uh, tonight. I know that you're following it very, very closely here. I posed a question at the top of the show, and I want to get your answer here. Sure. Which which team was the most disappointing, or since it's a terrible Tuesday, terrible team of this winter season? Would it be the Lakers, the Nets, or the Golden Knights? Oh, geez. Well, I mean, locally they'll definitely say the Golden Knights, and, and I'd go that, that that for rings true for sure, considering the, the you know the superstars right. swing. They but the they still have a shot in the playoffs. Technically, the yeah. the other teams are eliminated that we mentioned, right? Well, yeah, that's true. No, you're right. We'll see what happens. But I, I think big picture, uh, Brooklyn for me, Brooklyn, right? And the Lakers are right there too. I'm not letting the Lakers off the hook. That was an absolute disaster. It was an abject disaster in its own right. But when Brooklyn started the season, TC, as the favorite to win the NBA championship, and in theory, they had James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant, three of the top, I don't know, 15 or so players still, you know, in their prime, and if not dead smack in it, like relatively close to it, not too far from it, right? You know, KD's 33, uh, the oldest of the three, but still an elite player, even though he, he struggled in this series. But to, to, to start the season as a, as a preseason favorite, and to not win a playoff game, right? Like the Lakers missed the playoffs, but like the Nets made the playoffs and, and did not win a single game. Um, they got swept. It was a chaotic situation all year. And and worse is long term. Like what is the prognosis there? Uh, because at this point, you know, Kevin Durant uh, still again poor series, but great player. You know what you're going to get from him uh, based on what he's done. But Kyrie Irving didn't play for two thirds of the year, and when he the, the past few seasons when he was available, you know, pre COVID. There were injury concerns, and Ben Simmons, there's still question marks. I mean, when's the next time we're going to see him on a basketball court? And it's going to be an expensive roster. There's not a lot of flexibility. So I'm not saying that the Lakers, again, we talked about the Lakers at the Aces draft party, and I made very clear that that was an, an abject failure. But so was the Nets. You know, so was the Nets, given the expectations and given, you know, the, the kind of how they might be hamstrung by the uncertainty that surrounds two of their three best players. That's just kind of a perpetual thing with, with Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons at this point. Uh, and, and that's not what you need when you're trying to build a championship team. I'm not saying it's impossible to retool or to rebuild, but it's going to be, it's going to take some creativity. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how they build out the rest of that roster, you know, four through 15. 
Yeah, when you look at the the whole body of work there, I mean, you had a, a rookie coach that seemed in over his head in Steve Nash. You got Sean Marks, who I, I don't think is a, is a good executive, and then you bring a guy like Kevin Durant in, and you know he's you know he is I don't want to say he's limited. Don't take that wrong because he's one of the greatest players we've seen. But if Kevin Durant he can't be that guy that's going to be banging and, and, and going to be in the low post. You're going to need to bring somebody in that can do that so Kevin Durant can do his thing. So he can be the slasher. So he can be the outside guy. He can do all that sort of thing. And that's why it was such a perfect fit for him in Golden State because he had guys that could do that. With him, it just seemed like he had to carry all the load here, Sam, especially with Kyrie Irving out. And even when Kyrie Irving was back, I mean, he was a, a shell of himself. And then you had the chemistry problems. So this thing was was just a disaster from the beginning from the coach to the to the to the front office to the players uh, on the court it was just a mess and you could just see the Boston Celtics just had blood in their eyes from the opening tap of game number 1 here not only did they want to to win but they wanted to eliminate these guys and they wanted to sweep these guys and i think they took great pleasure of uh of, of sweeping them and in in, in in getting them out of there on um, on their home floor as well too. No, well, no question about it. CC, let's not forget Brooklyn put Boston out last you know last yep. year and disposed of them quickly, right? Blew them out. Um, and there was a lot of you know a lot. Of, I mean, these guys are you know a lot of them are very friendly off the floor, but these are the most competitive guys. When you get to the postseason, you're talking about a, a, a high level comp- competition, high level competitors for a guy like Jason Tatum. Um, and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, you know, those guys are trying to really, really earn their stripes, trying to get to their first NBA Finals. you got KD and Kyrie, uh, you know, opposite you on a team that's coached by Steve Nash with all those veterans that they have on the roster, even if those a lot of those guys are well past their prime and can't contribute. Uh, you know, that's a roster that at one point, you know, these young dudes were looking up, look like those were, they were looking up to these guys. You want to, you know, the, the idols become your rivals, right? And And they did. They did take great pleasure in that. And you could see, Almost um, Jason Tatum take the responsibility of, of guarding Kevin Durant and going at it. There was a personal element to him. Hey, I'm here. I'm one of the best players, too. KD is what he was saying. And guess what? He backed that up on both ends of the floor. So um, I'm with you. And from, from an organizational standpoint, uh, I'm, I'm a little surprised Brooklyn got swept. But they've been bad all year. And they've, been, they've had chemistry issues all year. And they've had defensive issues all year, and they have lacked structure all year. Like, you're not just going to – it doesn't matter how talented you are. Um, you're not just going to come come to and play great team championship basketball for four weeks, you know, the, the most crucial four to six weeks of the season when you haven't done it at any point prior, right? Like, we saw what cohesive team five-on-five basketball looked like in that series. That's what the Boston Celtics had. So, until the Nets get back to playing that style of – and they have to make some – some roster changes. You, they had four or five. The four of their six best players are six two guards that can't defend anybody, right? Like you need wing players in this league. What does Boston have? Do you see a bunch of guys in between six four and six eight on the wing that can switch and defend and that can rebound and guard bigger guys? Like that's those those players, those archetypes are so valuable in today's NBA because of how versatile they are. Boston's got a roster full of them. Brooklyn has almost none of them except for KD. And to your point, he got taxed doing that. That's why Boston's a championship contender, and that's why Brooklyn did not win a playoff game. You got that right. All right, Sam, three games tonight. Let's break them down real quick. Atlanta and Miami. The Heat, a six-and-a-half-point favorite, looking for the closeout here. 
this is definitely a, a, a tale of two teams seem to be going opposite directions. A- Atlanta just can't win on the road. They got one game in this series, but I mean, don't we firmly expect Miami to close things out here? I mean, the top seed in the East, they're kind of, you know, under the radar, all of that talk about uh, KD, Kyrie, the Nets, uh, the Boston Celtics, and, and even the Milwaukee Bucks. And, you know, there's Miami sitting at the top here just taking care of business. Absolutely. I, I think the Miami takes care of business tonight, puts Atlanta out of, uh, out of their misery in five. Um, no Jimmy Butler. Um, he's dealing with that heat announced he's out with like a right knee issue or something like that, just a little bit of soreness. But even without him, you're at home. You have Bam out of bio. You have Tyler Hero. Uh, you have, you know, a number of shooters, ball handlers out there. You have Eric Spolster, the best coach in the NBA. They should take care of, of Atlanta tonight and get this thing out of there so Jimmy Butler can rest up that knee uh, and, get, and, get, and so Miami can get some rest um, and get ready for, for the Philadelphia and Toronto because that series may be going seven. So I, got, I think Miami takes care of business tonight at home. All right, even despite with no Jimmy Butler there. Uh, Minnesota and Memphis, this is a series, just like the other game we're going to talk about that's going to follow them tonight, uh, has become a series. I think a lot of yeah. people thought that Memphis was going to roll through this series, but Sam, this these are two young teams. They're both very, yeah. very young. They're both very similar. You don't have one team that has a you know advantageous experience, uh, you know, you know depth here at all. Uh, but Memphis is a six point favorite. I think a lot of people still think that Memphis is is going to win the series. But when we count, you know, Minnesota out, boom, uh, they come up with another victory like they did a couple days ago. Yeah, these aren't the these aren't the same Timberwolves TC that I've watched. You know, the last fifteen to twenty years that just fold up like a cheap tent when adversity comes their way. Now they did fold in Game Three, but they responded in Game Four and they took a heck of a punch from Memphis to do so. Right. So I think whoever wins tonight is going to win Game Six, whether that's Minnesota or Memphis. I I want to believe, and of course, you know, I, I follow the Timberwolves. It's no secret. Uh, but based on what I've seen from from these four games so far, Minnesota has outplayed Memphis in maybe 55 or 60% of the minutes. Now, that said, it doesn't matter. It's 2-2. It doesn't matter you know, who outplayed who. The Wolves could have outplayed. They outplayed Memphis for a majority of game three, and they, they, they messed up in the most 10 crucial minutes, so it doesn't matter, right? But what I'm saying is when Minnesota's at its best and Memphis is at its best, I think Minnesota's best is a little better. And if I, I'm expecting a game five tonight in front of a rabid crowd, an excited crowd in Memphis. That's one of the best home crowds in the NBA. I think the Timberwolves duplicate their performance that they had the other night, go into Memphis. They've had an excellent game plan on John Morant, making him question his jump shot, not letting him get to the cup, being physical with him when he comes to the basket. Um, He's going to want to feed off that home crowd, but I think they have the proper game plan to keep him in check and to to make sure he doesn't go nuclear. And then it's all about Carl Anthony Towns on the other end. Is he going to be the cat that we saw in games one um, and four where he was, you know, 30 and 15, or is he going to be the cat we saw in games two and three where he's a non-factor? If he wins his matchup and wins it decisively, um, the Timberwolves are going to win this game. You know, D'Angelo Russell is another guy that not a lot of people talk about, but when he's going good, I mean, look out here too. And and they need that. The T Wolves need uh, they need that perimeter scoring, and he can give it to you. Yeah, yeah. The way the roster is constructed, I mean, there he is dependent upon um, to shoulder a load on offense, and it's you know it's it's interesting watching him because when he's such a streaky score when he gets going he can really get going but but at the same time when he doesn't have it going you know you watch a guy like Tyus Jones for Memphis the way he just kind of conducts and the ball pings around 
possessions where D'Lo gets into his dribble a little too much, they can really stall and stagnate. And that's something the Wolves have to be wary of. If he doesn't have a shot, you, you give it up and you relocate. Um, he, that's not his style of basketball. But if he can play that way or you can get him to play off the ball a little more um, and be more of a scorer instead of having to create everything himself, I think that's a way to open up his offense. And the Wolves are, might need it tonight. All right, New Orleans and Phoenix uh, tonight. This series tied it to as well. I think a lot of people are surprised the way this series is going down. Sure, you got the Devin Booker you know, injury early on in this series, but Phoenix has, has been able to... Uh, to withstand the storm, so to speak. Uh, another game time. All these uh, lines are the same, and we're talking about you know six, six-and-a-half point spread here. Phoenix, six-and-a-half at home here. Uh, Sam, would not surprise me at all. I don't know about you, but if Phoenix comes out and, and smokes this team to here tonight, uh, I know the Booker's gone, but you got Chris Paul. He's not going to have another uh, subpar game, and they still got DeAndre Ayton down low. I, you talk about places to play. That Phoenix uh, home crowd can get pretty electric as well, too, especially knowing that, hey, you know, we got to wake up a little bit here because we, you know, th- th- it's really paid for us to to maybe win this thing. And uh, I think you know they were caught looking ahead a little bit, but now they know that they're in a series with the Pelicans. It's tied at two. Who do you like tonight? I like Phoenix to take care of business at home for some of the reasons you just named, but I do think this is a seven game series. DC, I don't think what the Pelicans are doing in this series is is a fluke by any means. I mean, Brandon Ingram. Um, has gone up a level right before our very eyes. Um, he's showcasing his offense. He's showcasing his playmaking. He's showcasing uh, his ability to create late in the shot clock, to get to the basket, to to hit tough shots on the perimeter when when things break down. Um, he's 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 his stock is going up in terms of how he's going to be viewed around the NBA. And then you, you got role players playing at a high level. CJ McCollum being a great complimentary star, and then. Um, role players that are excelling. Herb Jones, the rookie, one looking like already one of the best defenders in the NBA. Jose Alvarado, the undrafted point guard. Really good game plan by 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 the, by the Pelicans and Coach Willie Green. He's doing an excellent job uh, putting game plans in place and making adjustments. You could tell TC their game plan. Wear Chris Paul down. Like the, he killed us in the fourth quarter in Game Three. Wear him down. Be physical with him. Pick him up full court. Annoy him so he fatigues in the fourth quarter. Uh, in Game Four, and that's exactly what they did, and they executed it to a T. So I don't know if if, if uh, New Orleans is they they have won in Phoenix before. They won Game Two in Phoenix. I do think that crowd is going to go wild tonight, and this is an experienced Phoenix team uh, with veterans that's been to the finals that that still has a little bit more pop than I think it showed in Game Four. I think they win tonight, uh, but again, I do expect a seven game series uh, that I think Phoenix ultimately wins. But but New Orleans is no joke. Um, it's a credit to their coaching staff and a credit to their players for buying in and playing their best basketball at the biggest time of the year. You know, we talked a lot about the Utah Jazz not being the same team that they were last year as that number one seed. They come in here as a five seed, and they started this series against Dallas like on fire. It's like, okay, you know, here's the Utah Jazz we're accustomed to seeing. But, man, Sam, this team just has been uh, very uneven. And yesterday they get blown out. 77 points. That's all they got against Dallas. Luka Donich back, relatively healthy. I mean, this is this is crazy that uh, you know what we're seeing here from the Jazz. I don't know how surprised you are of what we're seeing with the Jazz and the low scoring output, but they're still alive here. Uh, who wins this series? Is it Dallas? Is it Utah? Uh, this thing ends. This this thing ends uh, next game six. That Dallas is going into Utah and going to end. Luka Doncic uh, is going to close out this series. DC, I think. I think. I think you have – I don't think you can just keep running this Utah thing back. Like, it's been this core for five years. 
Uh, you can't get past the second round. You know, that we've heard, we've read and seen all the reports, regardless of what's said publicly, we've all seen the reports about Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and their, you know, relationship. And is it, you know, is there friction? Do they get, like, I don't, whether they do or don't, this isn't working. So something has to give. You can't just keep running it back. I think there's kind of an understanding uh, of that. And I think, you know, Utah kind of laid down, you know, the other night. And I know that's not, that's not a term I like to throw out. Um, just kind of casually throw out there because, you, you know, there's you, you, like I'm implying a lack of effort or whatever, um, but they got blown off the floor. And I think everybody kind of knows that, hey, this, you know, this has run its course. It, it's it's not working. Like, how do you not know that? You're, you're, you're in it. They, they, they melted down against the Clippers last year when they had a prime opportunity to go to the NBA finals. Um, and, and there's they've just been uneven all year. Uh, the roster, there's deficiencies on the roster. They don't have perimeter defense. There's so much has to go there. Now Mitchell's defense isn't what it what, what it was a couple of years ago with his his increased workload on offense. Like there's all kinds of issues. I would not be surprised if Rudy Gobert gets moved once the season is over, or Donovan Mitchell, and if Quinn Snyder and the Jazz part ways too, and they start to reboot this thing because this it's not working. And Dallas and Luka Doncic is gonna is gonna close the door. Uh, on that tomorrow night. Uh, to me, TC, uh, Dallas, a dark horse to get to the finals. A dark horse to get to the finals because of Luka and the style of offense and the quality of shots they can get um, late in games with, with his playmaking. Yeah, there's another great home court advantage, too, uh, that they have there in Dallas. Uh, that place definitely was electric last night. No question about it. Uh, let me ask you this. Can Quinn Snyder get fired for his dress and his appearance? Because this guy used to be one of the most dapper guys, and I, I, you know, I understand the NBA coaches went to the casual look. That that guy looks unrecognizable. Is that Johnny Depp on the sidelines there in Utah right now? Hey, hey coaching, hey, coaching that Jazz team. CC is wearing them up. <laughs> hey, he's he's ready for the season to be done too. He doesn't. He, he might not mind going home tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding, brother. I appreciate you, man. Uh, appreciate you spending the time with us today, talking about NFL draft and also the NBA playoffs. Of course, we'll be talking WNBA coming up with you as well. And we've got boxing this Saturday night. I know I'm going to see my man Sam the Man Gordon at Shakur Stevenson, Oscar Valdez, MGM Grand Saturday night, aren't I? Absolutely, TC. One of the fights of the year. Um, excellent fight. The top 230-pounders, both uh, uh, Shakur Stevenson entering his prime, Oscar Valdez squarely in his. It's an awesome matchup. I cannot wait. All right. Look forward to seeing you, brother. Appreciate it. And, uh, again, follow Sam on Twitter. He is a great follow on Twitter by Sam Gordon and also in his column at the Las Vegas Review Journal. Okay, my man, I'll talk to you this week and see you this week. How's that? Sounds good, TC. Take it easy. Thank Appreciate you. you. There he is. Sam Gordon joins us. When we come back... A little bit more from the terrible Tuesday file. Hey, this is Tyson Fury, a.k.a. the Gypsy King. And I'm here today ripping it up with T.C. Martin. I'll give you more than a word. I'll give you something that goes like this. A long, long time ago, I can still remember how that music used to make me smile. And I knew I can make those people dance And maybe they'd be happy for a while But February made me shiver With every paper I deliver Bad news on the doorstep I couldn't take one more step I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widow bride something touched me deep inside 
Tyson Fury. That's what he does after he wins. We've seen it here in Vegas. Now we saw it at Wembley on Saturday where he destroyed Dillian White. Won every round, basically, and disposed of him with the uppercut. That was it. Good night, Dillian White. And we talked all last week with Teddy Atlas, Timothy Bradley, our boxing crew guys. And we all thought, okay, Tyson Fury said this is it. Do we take him at his word that that was his last fight? Because afterwards, there was some talk that maybe it, it wasn't. So, anyway. Anyway, there's another interesting story that, that came off of this fight as well, too, right? That uh, So, Francis Agandu, right, came in, into the ring, and they were talking, and we're thinking, okay, is this going to be like a, a, a setup for... You know, a fight, you know, Tyson Fury's not going to, you know, go to the cross, you know, promotion match thing here, go UFC, right? No, instead, Naganyu was a little confused after Tyson Fury asked him uh, how big his penis was. There you go. I don't know. <laughs> the Predator, as he's known. He goes, I thought it was kind of weird that Tyson Fury, me, Tyson Fury, after he knocked out Dillian White, asked him, how big his penis was. Now, that didn't surprise me with Tyson. You know, Tyson has a little curiosity there. He looked at uh, Francis and said, hmm, you're a big boy. Are you really a big boy? I don't know. Crazy stuff. That's Tyson Fury. I hope that he comes back. I mean, he said before the fight this was it for him. But again, with boxers, you really don't know. And it's the story... It really wasn't a big story because I think there were so many people out there that kind of paused and said, mm, do we report this or not? I mean, Tyson Fury said this is going to be his last fight. So when he says it, usually the media will just run with it. But in this case, they, no one really ran with it. It's like, okay, he says it, but don't be surprised. I mean, come on, they've all said it. Floyd Mayweather said it how many times? You know, Manny Pacquiao has, has said it. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. Conor McGregor has said it. Seems like they're never done. But uh, we'll see what happens here with uh, Tyson Fury. But anyway, if he does retire, he remains. He'll be uh, the heavyweight that uh, is undefeated and uh, a great career. But uh, always fun. Always always great to be in Tyson Fury's presence as well, too. And, uh, you know, it was great to... You know, have him be able to fight here in Vegas as much as he did as well, too. What, Numchuck? You you have you have a, you have a terrible Tuesday audio for me? All right, let's see what we got here. Bring it on. I get a couple of months, get then I'll be right feet. back on my feet. We'll speak. He's a good-looking, he's a good-looking chubby, isn't he? Yeah. Have you got a big Corey? Huh? Have you got a big Corey? <laughs> oh, no. Big what? Corey. <laughs> Hey, this is getting off the chains, but will we see it in the octagon or will we I see it in the ring? Yeah, thank good you. Job. A, a Corey? Is that right? 
Tori, Corey, what what is that? A Corey. A Corey. Okay, well, look at what's what's the the Urban Dictionary? I wouldn't even would that even be Urban Dictionary? What is that? Is that is that English slang for wanka? Oh jeez, <laughs> Tyson Fury, crazy. All right, man, crazy stuff. All right, I went to a softball game on Saturday. Can I talk about my softball game experience? Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm sure you want to hear about this. All right, so I will set the table with this that. As you many know, I, I've coached many sports in my time, including high school softball, girls softball, club softball, uh, travel team softball, and I and I of course I had the uh, experience to coach my daughter, which was a lot of fun. I love coaching softball, baseball, basketball, love doing all that. So anyway, there is a, a, a ritual, I guess. You know, when we moved out here and my daughter went to UNLV. Uh, she really wanted to play softball, but it, it was not going to allow her to do that because of her, um, you know, being a theater major and that sort of thing. So we still love going to baseball games, and we would make it a point to go to UNLV softball games, at least a couple games during the course of the season. And as many people know, that she sings a lot of national anthems. She sang at UNLV basketball games, uh, World Championship Boxing, HBO, ESPN, Aces games. And she has sang at, at UNLV, like I said, softball games before. So uh, when she was going to UNLV. So we picked a time where we could go see a softball game this past weekend. It's like, okay, both on our schedules, just you know, put it on the calendar. Let's go and let's go enjoy this. Perfect day. 75 degrees, UNLV's playing Utah State. Both teams very, very good uh, near the top of the Mountain West Conference standings. And UNLV has a chance for the first time in a long time to potentially go to the Women's College World Series or at least, you know, advance, you know, to the regionals. And San Diego State is the top of the Mountain West Conference standings, but um, they they need to basically win out the majority of their games. So we go to the game, and it's a very good game. And the game's flying by. It's, you know, we're going to, what, uh, the top of the seventh inning here. And UNLV needs three outs to get the victory. They lead 2-1 to one over Utah State. Now, i got to preface this. With college softball, the umpiring system, it's a three-person crew. No Angel Hernandez is here, but... The good, the, 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 close. This could be. This is why we're talking about it on this terrible Tuesday. Angel Hernandez story esque. So you have a home plate umpire, you have two field umpires. For the most part, the first base umpire is positioned there. Then the second umpire is positioned usually between shortstop and second base, or between basically second and third. It's very rare that you see umpires leave their standard position because it's a three umpire system. You got the base is covered, right? Home plate's at home plate, first base at first, and then the other umpire is, is second and third. And a lot of times the the first base umpire and the other field umpire will share the duties uh, at second base. So here we go. So we have a walk. Utah State has a runner on. I believe there's one out. And then there's a shot to the gap. I, I, I Change it, not to the gap. A line shot, right field line, goes in the corner. It's going to be extra bases. Here comes the tying run to the plate for Utah State. Round second. Third base coach waves her home, coming to third. There's going to be a play at the plate. The right fielder for UNLV 
perfect relay throw to the second baseman. Fires, catches, fires, home, sweep, tag. Looks like Gonzo, ring him up. Umpire says safe. Says safe. The game is now tied at 2-2. Like, wait a minute. But here's where something went wrong. The home plate umpire left his position to home plate. He went down the third base line and is going to be there, I guess, to make the call from the hitter who is going to try to stretch a double into a triple, right? All right. So here comes the first base umpire covering home. Now, you see this a lot in the two-man system because you, you only have two umpires. But when you have three, there is no reason to leave your post at home plate, especially when the tying run is coming to home plate. So what happens? The first base umpire hustles to try to get in position, doesn't get in position, calls him safe. The crowd, good crowd on hand too, with UNLV on, on Saturday. Calls him safe, calls her safe. Crowd erupts, goes crazy. Christy Fox argues a little bit. UNLV coaches cannot believe that the safe is called. And lo and behold, there's my daughter giving it to the umpire. Just like she did as a player. Just like she did. Just like her father. And I'm going, whoa, Jules, you might have to calm down a little bit here. I mean, you can't give it to the umpire, but everyone else kind of was too. And she's going, how can you leave your position, Blue? You can't do that. What are you going to third for? Stay at home. You got to make the call. It's a game changer. What is wrong with you, Blue? Lit him up. Then she proceeded to kind of lit up the Utah State coaching staff and players as well, too. But all this happening, all right, while to our right, we've got a guy freestyling. We got a fan wearing a UNLV Rebel shirt. I don't know if he was a student. I don't know if he's a graduate. But he's got his earbuds in, and he's dropping F-bombs, and he's, he's, he's freestyling during the course of the game. And so people are looking around like, what's, what's going on here? He's not doing play-by-play. All this happening in the controversy. And then we go to the bottom of the seventh, and we're towards the end of the game, and uh, UNLV ends up losing 3-2. to two. Umpires are walking off the field. And, uh, of course, there's Jules and other people kind of giving the umpires a business as they made a, a beeline towards their vehicles in the parking lot. But while that's happening, UNLV does a great job with the PA system. They give away T-shirts every time a UNLV pitcher records a strikeout. Really, really good stuff there. But Mr. Freestyle decides to bust out his computer and his speaker and now we now he's we've got music going, and UNLV's got their music going from the press box, and he's free base and freestyle and who knows what. It was a crazy scene there Saturday, but a beautiful day for softball. Unfortunately, umpire blew the call, out of position. Haven't seen anything like that in my life at, at the collegiate level. Unfortunately, UNLV got the loss, but they did win two out of three in the series against Utah State. All right, more breaking news before we let you go. What is going on here? Bay Area residents are reacting after the cancellation of the Gilroy Garlic Festival. It's canceled. They announced cancellation. Why? 
The the festival board said because of the lingering uncertainties due to the pandemic and high insurance costs, there will not be a festival in the foreseeable future. The Gilroy Garlic Festival, it's a staple. We know what garlic means. The Central Valley, the Bay Area. Oh, yeah. That garlic from Gilroy. They ship it over there to San Francisco for the Giants games there. This isn't about the pandemic. This is all about rising costs. That's what it is. They're picking garlic in Gilroy. They're picking garlic in the Central Valley. No need for the festival to be stopped. You got great music, great band, all that kind of stuff. Ah. Too bad. Now, there was a shooting, if you remember, years ago at the Gilroy Garlic Festival. Now, maybe that had something to, to, to do with it, but they're really not uh, saying that. But there has been a steep decline in the festival uh, traceable to the 2019 mass shooting, but, you know, people wanted to get back. The Garlic Festival is a fun event, and that was very sad. In 2019, three people were were, were dead, 17 were, were injured, but uh, the festival was canceled in 2020 due to COVID, and then uh, they, they canceled last year as well, but I think a lot of people thought the Gilroy Garlic Festival would return, so It looks news. like it's going to be not coming back. Yeah, permanently. Canceled. Permanently. That's too bad. That's too bad. All right. Uh, I want to thank Sam the Man Gordon for joining us today. Also, Steve Berline. Appreciate him. And he will be in town. Always fun when Berline comes to town. Yes, we'll have some food stories and uh, some other stories as well, too. So always fun when he comes to town. And the draft, Thursday and Friday, will be at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Yes. Thursday, Friday. Come on out. See the show live. It will be a lot of fun, as usual. Tomorrow, Mike Tice joins us on the show, the former Minnesota Vikings head coach. He's in town. We will talk to him, our good friend Trevor Maddich. No one breaks it down like Trevor Maddich. We know that. The X's and the O's, the M&M's, you know, late night on the bed. Trevor, doing it all. Knows all about the college game, the NFL game as well, too, but knows these college players better than anybody. So, yes, we'll tap into Trevor Match tomorrow as well. So make sure that you join us. If you miss any part of the show, make sure you go to the website at tcmartinshow.com. Also check out my Major, Major League Baseball handicapping show that is on the YouTube network on BetUS TV and go to the MLB show on BetUS TV, 9 o'clock every morning Pacific time for that. Shout out to my man, the professor, back in town visiting. Shout out to him. Shout out to you. Shout out to everybody. We reconvene tomorrow at 2. We'll see you then.